Welcome to season two of the 3 to 10 project. Two white cisgender males who have been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our identities with our experience, as well as what we are reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. The 3 to 10 project reflects our long-term commitment, three to 10 years, of working together to build community and culture, inspired by author Resma Menikum. You can learn more about Resma and find a link to the podcast that inspired us on our website. I'm Mark. I'm Reed. This season, we're framing each episode around an essential question. Sometimes we may uncover answers, usually we'll end up with even more questions. And as we move to hold ourselves accountable, we'll wrap up every discussion by setting specific intentions for action. How will we be moved to act and what will we do? This is episode one of season two, entitled, Why Are We Doing This Podcast? Recorded August 1st, 2021. We reference a couple episodes of the Ezra Klein podcast, available through the New York Times, And also, Mark's audio starts out pretty rough, but gets better, so please hang with us. Thanks and enjoy. Happy August, Mark. Hey, yeah. It's been a while since we've done a podcast. Not since we've talked, but since we've, you know, recorded, and I'm excited. Yeah, well, we this is officially sort of the start of our second season, our second year. We've decided to do a few things to give a little more structure to these conversations. I think the key pieces are the number one, some of the point of this is really thinking about like what are we actually trying to do as a result of conversations? What are our actions we're taking, our intentions we're having? So one thing we're gonna try to do is at the end of each call, really think about like, what are our intentions or what might we do moving forward? And then coming back to those things. So kind of starting, I think a structure that we're playing with here is that we'd start each discussion reflecting on what has has transpired since our last call. Then we'd spend the heart of the conversation each time tackling a specific question, some kind of a essential question that we want to deal with. And then we'll end setting an intention or two of what we might do uh, in, in the interim. Yeah, and so for this episode, the question is, why are we doing this podcast, right? And <laughs> Exactly. Before we get into the discussion about of today's question, let's go back to something we talked about sort of the end of last season, which is why are we trying to do this when you're running? Like, why aren't you sitting down in a nice little comfy chair with a cup of coffee like I am? Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, it really goes, it's reinforced by the ideas that came up in another podcast I heard on Ezra Klein show. Um, with the author of the book, The Extended Mind, really just reminding me that there's some, there's some reasons for this. Number one, that 
nature actually has a positive impact on thinking and creativity. And I am in a space, which is kind of what I'll call kind of rural, rolling back roads of Massachusetts and Rhode Island that in this moment, especially has like a ton of green, ton of trees and um, just, you know, feels supportive to thinking, especially thinking deeply and thinking creatively. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of research about what happens physiologically when you're moving and especially when you're running um, in the body biochemically that influences thinking. So um, I know I can just kind of really notice that. You've made the comment that my, I just seem much more articulate even in the times when I'm running. And I would say that's not like make believe, that's real. Then there's a couple other things that maybe aren't directly connected to the running aspect, but just important to name that are supportive to this work and why, like why we're doing the podcast. So I'll kind of just speak to this for a second is we're doing it in community. So, you know, we learn better together. Again, research shows that humans do learn better together for many purposes. And then I, I like that, you know, we've added a structure to this. We've always had a structure. Now we're kind of revamping it, adding some more structure that also supports learning. So all these things like, you know, kind of like, why are we doing this podcast? Well, we're doing it in a way that's shifting the way we would normally communicate. And I think that that's kind of one reason for doing the podcast. And the other just kind of, I just want to name for me is it's creating a routine. You know, I like thinking of routines and rituals, habits, and their impact on us. And this routine is, in a way, a keystone habit in the sense that we are preparing for it. It gets me thinking about it. It creates some sort of regularity in this. So it's impacting other things I do during the week that... I might not do otherwise. And then it's just simply creating space for reflection and planning, which again, I could do on my own, but having the routine, you know, and the habit creates the specific space. I think another reason we're doing the podcast is like to create support for each other and accountability. So just naming things out loud, knowing it's being recorded, saying it to someone else, creating a plan for action, knowing we're going to revisit it, we have a certain amount of accountability built in because of that. So just that's another reason for doing it. Um, so let me pause there and see what you think about all that and what your reasons are for doing the podcast. So I... It's compelling to me your your discussion of why specifically you want to be moving, you want to be running, maybe at times walking just to help us with with audio quality. And I have done it too, even when we've talked, like sometimes I'm pacing around the room. So it's compelling and interesting to me that there's this interconnection between how we have the conversation and the experience of what we get out of it. 
But then in terms of why we're having the conversation. So I went back, you know, we did an episode last time where we talked about this Dan Harris podcast with Resma Menicum, who's an author. Uh, his book, My Grandmother's Hands, I believe you've read. But in that podcast, that to some extent was an inspiration, I think, for these conversations in the first place, uh, their discussion that they had. And I was listening, re-listening to some of it. And what you just said kind of echoes a little bit about what he was recommending, which was really had to do with, you know, the idea of the, the name three to 10 came from a comment he made during that, where he talked about white people specifically committing three to 10 years to meet with each other and to sort of do the work and the conversation around building community. And he was talking specifically about race. And he said, we have to develop ways that you can't opt out. Like you have to figure out ways to sort of stick to conversations, community building, so that's what you're talking about, the routines, the keystone habit of coming back to this and us having a conversation every couple of weeks that we are committed to digging into some big questions and thinking about what they mean to us and towards a larger goal of trying to make myself better and trying to contribute to a better society, I guess. That sounds a bit lofty, but I think that's true. And I will put it into the big framework of justice. We're talking about justice. We're talking about it from the perspective of privileged, you know, cisgendered white men in 2021. And um, we're trying to understand our role in, I think mostly, not like historically our role, only, that's only really to serve the purpose of what's our role right now to create a more just society or to have more justice. Maybe we'll have to spend time unpacking like, what does justice mean? But that's the idea of why we're doing this. And so, and obviously built within that is that we have a unique position as privileged white men around this. So like, how do you show up and what do you do? What's the work? You know, we talk about the work. What is the work um, in this moment? Yeah, that we have to, for me, that's important because this I, I gain great satisfaction from the intellectual exercise of reading stuff and thinking about it and throwing sound bites at my wife or at you. And that's easy and comfortable for me, even if some of the things that I'm reading or listening to or thinking about challenge some fundamental things uh, about kind of how I see the world. Still, that intellectual exercise is very easy to me. And that's why I think that moving towards greater accountability, naming and being pushed to think about what am I actually going to do is a really important step on this because that second part of, of doing the work is less clear to me um, how good I am at that or what that would mean or how, how committed I am to that. So I think that's why 
I, I need to say that out loud, that like we have to move from the intellectual to the actualized um, part of this. Actually, if it's okay to kind of jump in yep. to something that came up in one of the articles, the Ibram Kendi article, well, one thing that struck me that I should just name is, you know, I've been throwing around the term anti-racist. How can I show up as anti-racist? How can my organization be anti-racist? And then, of course, realizing, yeah, I didn't read his book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I'm kind of assuming I know what this means. And then, you know, uh, Jana, my wife, starts asking some questions about this. Or, or, or was listening to the podcast herself and kind of pushing me around this idea of what does it mean to be anti-racist. And then that got me thinking, all right, let me, let me be more clear here about what it is. So <clears throat> Kendi talks about anti-racism, meaning things that, you know, really outcome-based, things that are going to change things for, for the better for people of color. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the definition I'm going to use just in this moment. Um, and the thing that he brought up, which I think is really important to ponder is, is this about changing policy or about changing people? And this may be a bit of a chicken or egg, but I think he's making more of the case like change policy. That ultimately policy is what changes people. You can't try to change people's belief and that's where you're focused as an anti-racist or an anti-racist work. And so I have two very specific examples going on in my life from really got um, elevated in the past week. They've both been kind of brewing but became much more clear to me last week and it was not, you know, sometimes, as, as we say, the universe conspires. Like, it makes sense to me that we're restarting the podcast, that we started with that article, that one of the big ideas is, is it policy, those are people, and then the things that happened this week. So I'll pause just for a second, see if you have thoughts, and then I can share a little bit about what happened and, and what the implications are for action and showing up, doing the work. Well, I, I want to build just for a minute on my own understanding of what Kendi's talking about there, sort of for myself or just for others that may not have heard that or think about that. Like he goes, I, I guess I'm asking, do you agree? He is actually very clear that intent, we often talk about impact versus intent, right? As we're talking about work around race and so forth. But he is very clear that intent is is meaningless is 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 you know so so and, and i think some of the frustration around for example voting rights work and things that are going on is that the argument even all the way to the supreme court has been these things are not intended to be uh you know racist therefore they are not and his his saying is like well just look at the outcomes and if the outcomes result in unequal uh outcomes for different people then it is racist by definition and I think he also just says all the changes that have happened, you know, through history have, you know, been based on policy changes and ultimately people's beliefs 
come around with them? You know, there's things that you could do now that actually are intended to be racist, let's say, that actually turn out to be to create better outcomes because they have un, they have unintended consequences. There's also kind of long term versus short term. There's I think what he says there needs to be, you know, looked kind of taken at its word and not held too tightly because um, there's, it's much more complicated than that. This is, but I think the big idea is, you know, we have to, I think, let's just bring this to us yep. for you and I, what's important here. The important thing is you can't just have like, Oh, well, I meant it this way, or I was trying to do this. And we need to bring it to like, what are we trying to accomplish in our actions? That's the work. I think the work is like figuring out what to do and doing it. As opposed, there's also kind of this idea of the work is reading and thinking, self-reflecting. And I'm not saying that's not also part of it, but it's kind of meaningless unless the work also becomes doing and, and towards outcomes. Otherwise, I think that's what I'm taking away. Yeah. The self-reflection, you go to any bias training or these kinds of things, you know, it always says is starting with yourself, right. And reflection. So I think that self-reflection and that constant critique of how you are seeing and thinking about the world is necessary but not sufficient in terms of making a difference. So I think we have to do those things, but we have to recognize just doing that actually doesn't change anything or won't improve anything. It is just sort of a foundation upon which uh, you can start to build uh, approaches to change. So it's necessary, but it's, it's not sufficient in terms of actually accomplishing anything is the way I think about the, the reflective piece or the even the intellectual exercise. Agreed. Yeah, so two things going on concurrently that are not really connected, but anyways, point to the same thing without getting into a ton of detail. One is around my work. There's been a big shift in the demographics of the people that work in the organization. And that was intentional. I was very involved in that. And it led to some conversations around power, who gets to make what decisions in our organization. Let's just stick with that right now. It's led to some very explicit conversations about who has power to make decisions and why? And those questions intersect with race, money, and gender, um, as well as history. So, but the bottom line is, um, I was in a call uh, with three black women and me and we're talking through some of this stuff. And I think I said something like that we now are an organization that's actually dominantly people of color now. And um, 
And it was an interesting moment where I was both supported by these people and kind of called out a little bit. The call out was, yeah, this is what happens all the time, which is organizations diversify and say, yep, we got it, we're done. And that's, it's a very surface level change, but decision-making, power dynamics, and so on, don't shift. So they were just kind of noting that. They weren't, I just, you know, I did, there was not an accusation. It was more like, this can't be it. And what we were then talking about is like, you know, what, to, what things need to happen within the organization. And um, we were talking about some specific changes to decision-making and power structures that they were pushing on and I was agreeing with, but also created quite a bit of tension for me because they were not the way we have been doing things and would require people to change, not just me, but other people. And I noticed like in this moment, part of my work is being the person that makes sure the other white people involved and just the organization as a whole makes this change. And one of the things that came up too was, you know, what can happen in organizations is this kind of like the angry black woman trope of they're the ones pointing at things and getting upset and saying this needs to change. And so that creates its own set of issues. And so it just became pretty clear to me that, okay, my work in this moment, in this space, is making sure that these women are supported, not to, for them, like, I guess, supported in the sense of like, I need to go do this. I need to make this happen. And I need to make it happen, not for them, but for us all. And that's, a, that's something I like to come back to later. It's like doing something for everyone, doing something for myself too. It's not about kind of this white savior helping people of color. It's much, there's a, definitely a bigger understanding around for this around me, for, for me around this around. This is important for me as well, if not even more important. So in any case, that's one way that it was very clear to me, like the work isn't just like being comfortable around people of color or getting them in the organization. It's now actually about shifting who has power and being willing to stand up for that shift as a white man with power. So that's one thing. Does that make sense? And then I'm going to shift to kind of a concurrent idea. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think it, it, the challenge is embodied in the in the moment you talked about where you say like, okay, we're all at the table and they're saying, well, but that doesn't mean that the way the organization operates has changed. And I think what, I, what I'm going to be curious to continue to hear from you is how do you figure out what changes, like what are the changes that has to happen and how do you play an appropriate role in that leadership role, co-conspirator role, whatever, when you know, what I'm hearing from that comment is that you might 
not even recognize that what some of those changes really need to be. Yeah, although I'd say in this situation, I actually do have a pretty clear idea what the change is. Mm. And I, it's so clear that it makes me uncomfortable because uh, it will create conflict with people that I have been in collaboration with. And, um, and maybe less conflict than I think. But um, yeah, it's probably not going to be super pleasant <laughs> to to make the shift, but I do know what it is. So I think, you know, when we finish at the end, I'll rename that that's part of what I need to do um, is move this forward, this decision-making revamp and power revamp in the organization. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the, other, the other issue that has been going on relates to the school district where I'm the... Uh, you know, on the school committee. And um, I think I'll keep this at a high level, which is just, we are, I, it has been announced that we're having our new director of diversity, equity, and inclusion make a presentation at our first, or the first retreat that I am part of, school committee retreat on Monday. And I'm assuming there'll be quite a number of recommendations made with that presentation, this is the first time she's presenting. And, um, you know, here's another example of an opportunity where there's a black woman who's really, as far as I know, the only black woman that works in the district, period, um, making, calling for changes, putting herself in front of that, and again, really this, like, so here's an angry black woman saying we need to change these things as the potential impression people could get. And recognizing that my work in this space may be similar of like showing up and saying, this is nothing to do with um, this woman in particular. She has done this research. She has put forward these ideas. But this is about us. This is about our community, our children, and that we need to be the one advocating for these things and get ahead of that so that this is not something I'm getting behind her and saying, you know, she's right and you better listen to her. It's more like, this is what I believe and I'm going to advocate for that she's naming. And as I say that out loud, I'm definitely like in the space of like, how to exactly show up in the way that's most supportive and the least white saviorish and the most kind of authentic. Yeah, seems a little complicated. Okay, there you go. It's complicated. You're probably going to get, you know, first of all, there may not be a clear right or wrong on any of this, but you're probably going to do some things wrong in the process of trying to stand up and support. Is it better to do something wrong than to not do something at all? Or is it better to hold back? I'm just trying to figure out, like, when you're not sure, should I take an action? Because I'm not sure it's right. Should you default to take the action or not? 
I, I think both from a personality standpoint and just kind of, I don't know, experiential, I think you got to take the action and learn from it. It's really hard to learn if you're just stagnant. Yeah. So you need that feedback. And I think people will understand and respect that. I don't think that's, I think, maybe an important thing just to remind ourselves. No one, including people of color, are expecting anyone, including us, to be perfect. And doesn't Tana Hesse Coach talk about that? Yeah. In that podcast? That, like, we're flawed. We're human. And yeah. we're going to make mistakes. <laughs> and that, to protect, like, so that you can get into this paralysis, right, of um, I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to make a mistake. And then I think that I will name, I think for white people and white men in particular, I think it can be reinforced by, okay, I don't want to do anything. don't want to make a mistake. And I'm always kind of the center of attention. I'm always taking control. I'm always dominating. I'm just going to be quiet and not do anything because that, and that's good too. And I, I admit I did, this is complicated, but like, it can become like a self-reinforcing loop there where you basically become paralyzed and don't do anything. Yeah. That Tadahisi Coates, I was just re-listening to that this morning, and he does say it's kind of, it's kind of a grace um, that can be found if you're willing to, to embrace the notion that you're not required to be perfect, Right. There's a there's a desire, and I think he's really speaking to to white men probably, to be the good guy in the story, right? He uses that phrase that um, that a lot of the messiness of now is making people realize, like, well, God, maybe I'm not the good guy in the story, and I think that's something I struggle with. Part of like, why are we doing this, right? Like, part of why I'm, or maybe why I started having these conversations is like, I want to identify and feel like I am the good guy. Um, but the idea that you don't need to be the savior, you don't need to be perfect. Maybe you just have to keep trying to do the right thing, trying to get better, which is what he ultimately lands on in that little, when he talks about that, like, we're just trying to be both personally and as a nation, just continuing to try to do things that make us better. Yeah, I'll put a little different spin on that. I'm going to shift it a little. I've had this really interesting opportunity to get to know um, this guy, Ram Bagat, who's in Virginia. Um, He was in the mindfulness teacher training that I did, and we connected, and then we stayed connected, and he's the reason we have a mindfulness director in Virginia. Um, And in conversations with him that have opened up some other similar conversations, you know, he really pushes on this idea of like liberation, like it's liberation for white people too, that this is not about like white people did something and now they need to fix it and then they'll feel better or then everything will be better. And it's, I think while there's 
parts of that that are true, there's this bigger idea of we're all trapped by racism. This is not, it, we, we as white people are trapped. We are affected too. And our work isn't to save anyone else. It's to save ourselves. It's to change, is, is to get rid of that trap on a very personal level and community level so we can be fully human. Because in the system of racism, we're not. Even as white people, even though it gives us more power, it, it takes away a lot of humanity as well. And I know I'm speaking in like kind of flowery language, but um, it's something I'd like to come back to over time is what do we, how do we genuinely, authentically, and in a human way benefit from the deconstruction of race and racism? So if we're talking about how we benefit, that is a little self-centered. Yeah, no, I agree. And that, I, I mean, not in I a bad agree. way. I mean, we, we start with ourselves. I was just going to say kind of this difference of um, trying to be the superhero or trying to be the, the hero in the story might make us feel good. But in fact, we're not trying to save anyone else. We're trying to save ourselves. That, that's, so forget about the idea of being self-centered or not. It's just the shift of who's getting saved here. And that I think it's important. It's that, that's something that's been pushed on me lately. That it's not, if you are continually stuck in like, how, what do I need to do to help you? Then it's all about you. As opposed to like, how, how is, what do I need to do to change the system I am part of too, that, that liberates me as well. Mm -hmm. Now I'm feeling compelled to be clear about something I'm going to, an intention I have, whether or not it's an actual next action. There's an interesting debate going on in this town, the town I live in. There's a proposal for a development right in the sort of center of town, which would have a little bit of retail space, but also a number of uh, housing units, small, like like single person or small family housing units. Um, and they would qualify for um, low-income housing. And so there's all tax stuff and all this. And this has become, apparently in this, in this community, this is a discussion that's been going on for a decade, I guess, like long before we got here. But there's real pushback on this proposal. And I have, I'm trying to educate myself uh, I actually was reading through some of it. I've been reading a lot of the things in the paper and, and hearing some comments, but I'm trying to understand <clears throat> in some detail exactly what's being proposed. But it's very clear to me that this uh, development is very much needed in this town. There's such such little affordable housing options. And I see the pushback as very much a reaction to people who are afraid of like, those people coming to this town <clears throat> and those two people 
probably meaning all kinds of things, but essentially the kind of people that couldn't afford uh, a half million dollar house, not really sure we want them in the town. And that's the kind of the sense I'm getting. So I really want to, um, there's a, there's a public hearing tomorrow or tomorrow night. And then there's another one in a couple weeks. And I want to educate myself <clears throat> and, you know, I don't know if this is for me or for, I don't know who this is for, but I really feel like this is something I want to speak out against and maybe name that I think the self-centered, really privileged perspective of we shouldn't be building these places because it's going to create more traffic or there'll be too many cars in the parking lot or all kinds of stupid arguments about like, these aren't the right kinds of families to be coming into this town. So anyway, that's going on. And uh, over the coming weeks, I'm going to, I'm going to listen into the uh, community meeting tomorrow. In a couple of weeks, there's going to be an opportunity to speak. I'm going to consider whether I might want to add my voice to that as I sort of learn more about what's going on, because this is right here in um, our town. And it seems to directly connect to these issues of power and privilege that, um, that sometimes seem abstract, but it's it's happening right here. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And what I'm noticing too, but by the way, it's interesting. I was just reflecting on the kind of like the scope of conversations we've had. What I'm enjoying about this in this moment is <clears throat> this has become much more personal local and connected to our real experience. Whereas especially during the pandemic, during some of the election stuff, Trump stuff, it was really easy to like, just kind of go off on the craziness we were seeing in the world and kind of just talk about that, which is nice and you know, important in its own way. But this seems like we've shifted where we're much more in the space of like, okay, what's really, what's going on with us and how do we take what we've learned and apply it in real ways? Maybe that's a segue now to the end part of our call, focusing on intentions, moving into the next time period. Absolutely. So what are your intentions, Mark? I, you know, have this school committee meeting tomorrow and then various opportunities in the next couple of weeks to start making power shifts and decision-making shifts or ensuring that those happen um, in my organization in the next week or, you know, weeks. So I think it's really just like noticing what's coming up for me in those situations and doing my best to authentically show up to, for what I think is right, um, however much that might cause me some tension and, and some conflict. And then also just kind of really reflecting on where it's coming from, you know, and just being aware, like, is it coming from white savior? Is it coming from... Um, wanting to disrupt systems because I like doing that? Is it coming from true beliefs, kind of authentic beliefs about um, 
what's important and what's most just. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my intention. Feel free to push me on that in any way, if you think. No, I think, I, I just think this question of like authentically showing up for what's right and where is it coming from, as you said, like what's our motivation, that we're just gonna be able to continue to interrogate that for, for a long time because I, it's hard to identify, you know, what does it mean to authentically show up and how do you determine what is right? I will be interested in hearing you say, I did this because of this. And then us, we certainly could peel the onion back about like, okay, so what was the real motivation there? What was the real motivation? I mean, I'm wrapped up just this thing we were just talking about, like, and maybe, you know, self-interest or being self-centered is the wrong term, but I'm, I'm doing sort of mental flips right now about like, how do you show up for others, but, but you're also doing it for yourself, but you're not doing it for yourself in, uh, in a selfish way. I, this is challenging stuff, and I'm just really kind of going around on it. I mean, I think in terms of me, I, I had this high-minded intention of continuing to wrestle with what are my motivations, right? And I think very specific for, for any for any work I'm doing and or anything I'm doing. And very specifically, I think. I'm interested to find out more about what's going on in our town and what kind of skin do I have in that game and why, what would it mean for me to authentically like learn and understand the real motivations behind um, like this housing debate and where do, where do I stand on that and what sort of action can I take? So I'm going to be looking at that specifically as a way to consider what's my role in this micro society around you know who gets to live where seems like a pretty basic question and what what should i do what should my role be in sort of weighing in on that that's what i'm going to be thinking about what's my bigger motivation for even having these conversations perhaps not sure it's a lot to it's a lot to consider as we move forward i'm just going to push on that one little bit and say you know and you can take it or leave it that you're talking a bit more like, I'm going to consider it, I'm going to think about it. And I think you could say in this moment, your action is to create a very explicit next action or plan for yourself around this issue. So you're going to do your research, you're going to do some reflection. But most importantly, you're either going to take some action, or you're going to have a very clear sense of what the action is that you're going to take. See, that's why we need to talk because then you, you've laid it out. That's, yes, let me do that. <laughs> that's very getting things done, by the way. That's very, um, <laughs> it's project planning. I can do that. Right, right. And I think that's where we're at right now is we're about, we're into the space of doing, which can involve planning to do, but like can't just be thinking about doing. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, now that we're, we're going to end the conversation so you can pick up the pace a little bit and try to get the sweat going. I think you've been going yep. too slow for much cardiovascular. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks. It was good. Okay.
Thank you for listening to the 3 to 10 Project. You can find all episodes on our website and through a number of streaming apps, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. We hope you'll keep listening and even send us feedback. You can email Reed directly at reeddyer1, that's the numeral one, at gmail.com. If you think these conversations could be valuable to others, please pass the podcast link along. And thanks, as always, to Random Chiz for our season two theme music.